1: And welcome to this episode of 5G Talent Talk. I have a wonderful guest with me today. Her name is Vita Ilderham. She is the Vice President at Intel Labs and Director of Wireless Systems Research at Intel. Vita, thank you so much for joining me today. I can't wait for our conversation. Thank you, Carrie. It's a great uh, privilege to
2: be here. Thank you for the opportunity to share my point of view.
1: You know, I'd like to start, Vita, first by uh, asking you about your professional journey. You know, you're, uh, you're an executive at Intel, I mean, with a very, very important position there. And uh, what has been your journey? How did you get from where you were to where you are now?
2: So thank you for the question. I have a PhD in electrical engineering from MIT. So in microelectronics, and today I'm running a wireless system research. So it's, you know, (laughs) it's quite a journey to talk about here. Intel is my third company. So the journey has been very exciting and frustrating because you have boulders on the road, you have rocks on the road, you have to go around them or you have to remove them, right? So you can always use help from other people. So when I reflect on my journey, I can put it in three phases. So phase one, postgraduate. You know, you're coming from a school with a good name. Expectations are very high. (laughs) There is pressure for you to perform, right? So you have to establish yourself. You have to show your expertise and you have to earn the trust and respect of your colleagues. So that was the, you know, the starting point. The second point is I was able to broaden my skill set. And that was, I really grew up in Motorola, which was my second company. So I learned uh, more. Uh, I uh, went into RF side, so I got a deep expertise in RF from silicon all the way into you know simulation, modeling, packaging, working with our business group. So come back, put manufacturing, put it all well around it. And then I joined uh, Motorola Labs. I had a sponsor who said, "You're too much in your comfort zone. So you need to become uncomfortable." <laughs> I love it. I love it. <laughs> it's like, hmm, okay. So I joined Motorola Labs and that was very, uh, that's what's really, I expanded my background because we had physical sciences, which includes, you know, nanotechnology, display, printed electronics, fuel cells, you know, so it was a variety of technology and later on added, you know, computer architecture, security imaging, wireless sensing networks. I mean, it was just Getting broader and broader, okay? So I had fantastic people uh, working uh, with me. So I learned a lot when I'm a technical person. So when I enter a domain, I like to learn about it, but I depend on my people to drive that. So that was it. And then the third phase where I am today is about growing people. It's, uh, you have to love what you're doing. That's given, right? But it's about uh, we achieve through people, right? It's how uh, to grow them, to help them achieve their aspirations. And once they do that, you know, they're successful, company is successful. So I, I'm in that leg of my journey right now. Mm. That's so
1: I, I, so, I love what you said. It's about growing people. Right. And that's so, so important. We're going to talk a little bit more about that later. Okay. But tell me about you. Describe your role as director of wireless systems research at Intel, and also talk about you know what is Intel Labs. Okay, so in in my team
2: we are if you want to go to the mission statement we look at uh, bringing a seamless connectivity to improve the quality of experience for people's and things, right? Because now things are being being instrumented too. So we start from silicon, and so we have design, we have IP, and we go all the way to the system level. So we have algorithm, and we have protocol designs, and and we work very closely. One of the joys of the job is the multicultural, multidisciplinary, and working with different teams. I think that's really what's exciting and makes us successful, frankly. So that's what we do. In Intel lab, uh, we are a corporate lab, about 700 people, two, plus, uh, two-thirds PhDs with a very diverse set of skill sets, you know, from engineering and science are given, you know, you know we are physicists, theorists, but we go all the way into anthrop- anthropologists and psychiatrists, psychologists, sorry, because we need social sciences, because you need to understand what the users want. Need right hmm. as engineer scientists, that's not our a... <laughs> part. <laughs> you know, so that uh, symbian relationship is very important be- between the different disciplines. Intel Lab is also have a global footprint. Uh, we are of course in U.S. We are also in Guadalajara, Mexico. We are in China, India, and in Europe, we are in uh, Israel and Germany. So we have a good footprint and have access to talent globally.
1: Mm.
2: Uh, and the other thing the lab does so uh is I would say it's three tenets or so three pillars. So one is exploration. So what do we mean by exploration? It's more about the people always ask how you come with idea, how do you know what to do, right? It's okay. about partnerships uh, with uh, academia, with government, with industry, okay? Mm. And uh, those partnerships are very important to not only see, but also understand where the world is uh, going. Then we innovate. You know, the world is about becoming very data. Our charter is to, uh, you know, take advantage or make the data, uh, you know, show its bring its full potential to the plate. And then so we are about, you know, sensing uh, analyzing, moving, storing, computing, you know, securing, uh, designing. So all the elements that go into digitizing, digital world and data. And then uh, finally, we advise, we want to be the trusted advisor to our um, colleagues and the corporation. So those are the three pillars that we operate on in Intel Labs. Hmm.
1: So I know that 5G is is a big part of your work. So In your view, what's the current state of 5G? Where are we now? Where are we going? Any new developments that you can share with us that you see or your team is seeing? Okay.
2: So uh, 5G, we started in 5G around 2011, 12, working with universities. Okay. And then to coming up with the spec and everything else. It takes a long time. And then, you know, later on, it was kicked off. I, I think around 2015 or 2016. So uh, 5G de- deployment depends on the standards, and this is the standard for is the cellular standard is called 3GPP. So the two releases exist already is called release 15 and 16, and in these releases, it's really about mobile broadband, enhanced mobile broadband communication. So it's more of a human-to-human communication, giving me more data rates, you know, more capacity, better coverage. Uh, so it builds on 4G type environment. Then the release 17 is in the works, uh, but now we're talking about there are two more legs to 5G, which is about machine type communication. One is the uh, billions of devices coming in. You know, these are in the field, low, uh, battery operated. So you know, low-frequency spectrum, less than 2 gigahertz spectrum. So that's in the works. And then the other side is called mission-critical type, machine-type communication. This is where you want to be, you know, at least five nine reliable. Uh, you want to have very low latency, basically real-time or near-real-time response. And so I would say 5G deployment started about two years ago, and you see more on the mobile broadband human-to-human communication, machine communication is being deployed. So I mentioned the spectrum with the, you know, machine type being less than 2, embedded mobile broadband, human-to-human, less than 6 or 7 gigahertz, mostly around 3.5, which is called CBRS bands, citizen band radio system. And then there's the millimeter wave side, which is 2839 in U.S., looking at, you know, uh, improving even more data rates, lower the latency, and that type of thing. I would say the uptake of millimeter wave has been slow, but still in the works. So that's where I would say the state of uh, 5G is. Now, where we are going is that there's uh, one thing that has happened with the deployment of 5G. And where is the data created? That's what we have to think about. Data is that devices or sensors in the field is. So we have this lot of data, actually, Advance of IoT with 5G enablement, you know, so we call it tsunami of data. And this created this concept of edge. Mm-hmm. So we talk about edge network or mobile edge communication, computation, and this is where the data is created. So you have devices, you have the radio access network, which is now represented by edge. Then you go to core network and data center or cloud computing. So uh, with Edge, where we're going is not uh, the computation is getting closer to where the data is created. So, and that's really uh, growing. And uh, the exciting thing about here is now you have the compute and come working together, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, the data reduces latency significantly because you're where the data is. So it's a shorter round trip time. So that's where we're going. and another development is the it's not new, but it's taking off now is what we call private networks, and this mm-hmm. is where you know you look at a uh, local area network uh, that uh, deliver for a very targeted coverage, I think stadiums or factory floor right. right. So that okay. is taking off too with the 5G and Wi-Fi mm-hmm. coming together. So those are uh, the next things we see where we are going in this
1: domain. So you spoke a little bit about how communications and computation have merged or come together. So how do you see that in the future? Or what does this look, this merging look like in the future?
2: So it's, um, I would say because of edge, uh, you have your devices are everywhere, right? So you have many edges which are heterogeneous. What do we mean by heterogeneous? You know, you have different devices. You have different protocols, you know, uh, 3G, 4G, 5G, right, protocols. You have uh, dynamism notes come in and go your cars at very high velocity or you have people who are just going
1: <laughs> <laughs> lots <laughs> of people going <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right. my kids are in there somewhere constantly <laughs> <Yeah.
2: laughs> all, all day long <laughs> very good some exercise <laughs> right right exactly <laughs> so but uh, so the edge is distributed right we have many edges so that means the computation is distributed so what we see is this distributed compute all, around, all uh, over the network, right? So the network enables the computation coming to the data and the computation enables the network to perform more efficiently for this type. And also there is storage angle too, so where you store the data if mm-hmm. you have to. So that's the coming together of these two.
1: Right, right. So when we talk about uh, the next G... And what barriers or challenges do we face with bringing 6G to life? Ha! <laughs> <laughs> I'm always looking at what's next. What's, yeah, next? what's next, right? <laughs>
2: uh, you know, once, uh, you know, standardization work started on everything, each G takes about 10 years to peak. But when you have that G, you still have the previous Gs, right? So let's see what are the previous generations are to just set it up for the 6G in this case. So 1G was analog, so nobody even talks about it. <laughs> yeah. 2G was about voice. So voice was king, the first digital set of networks. 3G became more about broadband. So now you have voice plus data, right? People started, uh, you know, downloading a lot of images and, you know, videos. 5G, uh, 4G brought mobility in. I want mobile mobile broadband on the go, right? I want to take my information anywhere I want to have access to my data. 5G is the first generation that brings the machines in. So building on the human-to-human communication and bringing the, you know, the machine-type communication and human-to-machine communication as well, so it really, really we say is transforming the network because the network, you know, was not built for machines. Why do I say that? Yeah, billion of things coming on online, right? And they go like a blip, transfer and go down. You know, the requirements are very, very different than running a video, watching a streaming, live streaming, right? So uh, what 5G did is allowing us to, uh, you know, bring new type of networks in. So what
1: is 6G? It's all about data. <laughs> <back> data. <laughs> data is queen. I like to say queen instead of king. Okay, okay. That's, that's <laughs> we are the queen striking here. <laughs> all right. So we have this
2: uh, large amount of data created and you want to make sense of this data. You don't want to transport, move the raw data because it takes a lot of bandwidth, energy, Right. And there's a huge overhead associated with that. So now is when AI comes in, artificial intelligence or machine learning as a subset. So now you want to make sense of the data you've collected, and you just want to send the information that is associated with that. So 6G brings the third pillar in. So now you have communication, computation, and AI to help with you know, the real timeness and the you know, lower latency, higher reliability, and making sense of the information. That's where we see it's going as a confluence of these three disciplines. You know, you still have to optimize the power, the performance, the quality of service and everything. Security is becoming important right. too. Right, So those, right. those, those are where uh, we see. So it's about data. Okay.
1: And has your team started working on 6G already? And I mean, uh, really researched. Okay. Yes.
2: Yes. So uh, let's go back to partnerships. Uh, I'm working with academia and in this case, NSF. So we have we have part of two centers with NSF. And first one is called MLWINS, is Machine Learning for Wireless Intelligent Network Systems. <laughs> machine Learning Wins, MLWINS. Uh, they picked off this center within NSF last year, September of uh, 2020. And we are looking at three research vectors. One is how to apply uh, machine learning for improving the wireless performance. The other one is have a better use of spectrum. Again, through machine learning. And um, finally, about since we said everything is going to be distributed, how to have uh, distributed learning over wireless mm. and how to apply also the learning part of it to wireless. So that's MLVs. There's a new center with nine companies actually have joined in this entity. And it's called a bit NSF, and they're in a proposal mode right now. It's called Rings, It's about resilient, intelligent next-gen systems, oh, as <laughs> for systems. <laughs> and so it's about looking at the resiliency of network. Uh, we believe is very important, and the security. How do you, uh, you know, gracefully degrade the service rather than, you know, abrupt mm-hmm. changes in that. So, and it addresses all the protocol layers there, mm. so.
1: You know, it's, I mean, the, the future is so exciting. And I, I again, I can't help but think about the people component. You know, we're going to need not just the, the amount and the number of people, but the type of talent that we're going to need. So in your perspective, what type of talent is needed now and for the future in wireless communications?
2: A uh, very interesting uh, question. I would uh, say that because we say we are looking at comps, compute, AI, I mean, all these things coming in, it's very hard for a person to have all these competencies. But, you know, I I would say you need some depth in one of them and then you can broaden yourself in the others. If you, because of this uh, multidisciplinary type of research, you have to think about, you have to have a system mindset. So you need somebody with that mindset then you need different competencies, you know, from of obviously computer science and engineering, math, you know, even as I said, social scientists, right, information theorists. It's a plethora of expertise you need to be successful in future. And I don't mm-hmm. think you can embody that in any one person, but I really look for people who have the capability of being deep in one or two discipline and broader, bigger sense of that domain, because it touches everything. Is touching everything now, so um, yes. there's a diffusion going on here. <laughs> mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. I agree. I agree. Do you feel that universities are producing the right type of talent that we need, and then what you just discussed?
2: I yes, and we do work with universities, so we do get internships. So when they come on board. Uh, we, we leverage their expertise that are coming in and they also they get exposed to the team members and what they're working on. Its we have uh, established centers uh, separate than NSF directly with universities. We call them Interscience and Technology Centers. And in this case, uh, you know, uh, we work we have one PI at the university and we have a PI on a principal investigator on our side. And we work very closely with that group of professors and their students, and we bring that multidisciplinary thought process in. Obviously, it's very hard to scale that, uh, but we are starting that for, for, uh, we've been doing that for, uh, just since I've been with Intel over 10 years now, you know. So it's a pretty good way of uh, showing people what you need to be successful, so
1: So how do you apply wireless expertise to other domains at Intel, like um, using the wireless expertise and then, let's say, using those transferable skills in another area? What are some examples of that at, at Intel? Great question. Thank you for asking that.
2: So wireless is about waves in space, right? <laughs> I do And we work in high frequencies. Well, my team works in uh, high frequencies. A great example I can give you is on quantum computing. So you have your quantum bits sitting at very low temperatures in millikelvins. And then you have, uh, uh, usually what happens is your instrumentation is sitting at room temperature. So you have all these wires, could be thousands of wires coming out of this refrigeration system. So what uh, my team has done is uh, using our RF understanding and capability, uh, design capability, and we've designed this controller which sits at 4 Kelvin, so not still mm-hmm. cooler, but cool, but not the coolest, <laughs> not in <laughs> milliKelvin. Kelvin. And we call that Horst Ridge. Uh, we have published that in uh, ISSCC, which is a, a conference for this, and, and other we have also published it in, so it's where we applied what we know from, you know, our designs and we applied it to quantum computing. Who would have thought? <laughs> right. So that's how can right. we control exactly. bits applying radio frequencies, right, rather than having a wire going down uh, all the way to millikelvin, right? So mm-hmm. that's an example of what, how we are doing our, um, extending our expertise into a different field.
1: Yes, and that's a perfect example of reskilling and upskilling. And you know, I, I do think it's exciting when we, you know, look at the future. I know, you know, some people might be nervous about this automation and machines and, you know, but what you've just described is that that perfect use of those transferable skills and saying, look, you know this already, you can learn this. And be of great value to the organization and to society. So that's exciting news. I want to switch gears a bit, yeah, and talk about you know, just ask you some questions about uh, you know your path and and your you know you being a female executive in the tech space. Uh, what challenges have you faced on your climb to the top, and maybe some lessons that you've learned?
2: Uh, there were many, starting from graduate school. <laughs> I'm sure you graduate school <laughs> All right. I'm sure um, I think number one I would say is networking. I was not good at it and I didn't you know I thought my work would speak for itself and that's not true. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, networking in a sense of talk about your work, talk about use different mediums to talk about your work. That communication is so important. And uh, network with your peers and colleagues and learn from them. So right. I think I, I missed a bit there. Again, starting from graduate school, and right, right. that experience to work, right? Hard lesson to learn, but it's a learning experience. It's okay. Some of us are wired for it. No pun intended. <laughs> so right? not. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> so, As women also, I think we need to support each other more. There are very few yes. of us and we shouldn't compete against each other. Yes. Okay. I so agree. those are, yeah. And then it's very important to establish our reputation, our expertise and earn the respect. Right. So those are some lessons learned and to really work hard. It's not delivered to you on a silver platter. You have to really work for it.
1: You are so right about that. So I know that you mentor uh, quite a few women and and in your role, you really serve as a mentor. So what should women keep in mind as they really strive toward those executive roles? Can you just give a few tips?
2: Well, network, talk about your work, right? Support each other. One thing is also I think is important is to have a sponsor. Sponsor is different than a mentor. So sponsor is basically advocate that talk about you or your work when you're not in the room uh, versus mentor is more of a one to one relationship on um, how to get better in whatever the person's need is. Right. So the sponsor is important. You can be purposeful about it or you can have you can have a sponsor that you don't even know you have one. Right, and that goes through, you know, your communication and talking about your work, and people seeing the results you deliver. I think you have to deliver results. That's given. <laughs> <laughs> right, you can't just talk don't about know, it. You right. have to, and you don't do anything. <laughs> right. right, right. So that would be
1: my tip: find the advocate. I think that helps. So, Vita, if you if you're looking for a sponsor, let's say, or there's a woman who's who's who needs a sponsor, is this something where she reaches out to someone? And you know, request this person to be her advocate. You know, I know you spoke briefly about it, but what do you tell your mentees when they are in need of a sponsor? The how I uh, I usually offer names, and I say,
2: would you like me to approach these people? Depending on what their function is, uh, the mentee's uh, role is. And with that, with that permission, I approach the person, I say, would you be willing to be a sponsor for such and such? And I would put a, you know, brief description, a short bio of the individual, what they do, who they are, you know, their essence. And if they say yes, and I do the introduction, I just hook them up.
1: Very good. Network. Networking, networking. Networking.
2: Yes, that's that's (laughs) the other networking. Uh, also, we have a sponsor uh, protégé also at Intel, which has been very helpful and powerful for upcoming women. Mm-hmm.
1: Oh, wonderful, wonderful! That's exciting. So I know that it, diversity is is a huge challenge, really, at all companies, and uh, it's even more of a challenge now post COVID or, you know, after last year, because so many women have left the workforce. What can companies do to, and I know this is a much bigger question than we can answer right here, but just maybe give me a few, a few thoughts that you have. What can companies do to bring more diversity to their leadership teams?
2: So you need a healthy pipeline, number one. If you don't have a pipeline, <laughs> right, it doesn't matter, right? And it really, I would say, you really, really have to activate at the university level. You bring people at the lower uh, grade levels, but they grow in the company. They learn the role. The other thing I would say is important is to give the opportunity, because women, uh, when we apply for something, we want to make sure we checked all the boxes. And it's mm-hmm. okay to check, yeah. you know, 60% of the boxes. You right. should
1: mm-hmm. have
2: the courage to go forward, right? That courage is important. So allowing job shadowing, rotational opportunities to grow them. This is what this role means, you know. Again, in the in U.S., we offer sabbaticals. Maybe you want to give them sabbatical coverage for, for, you know, a bigger role, you know, the next opportunity for them. So those are some of the things, important sponsorship we talked about, right, to have advocate right. for them. Uh, the other thing we've done is to create a cohort of women, executive women, so that we support each other and we support the upcoming women. I think that's very, it's been powerful and very important because you have to keep your eye on the box, you know, and you have to develop the pipeline and the next generation of uh, women and minorities, right? So, so that's, that's why I emphasize the pipeline, the sponsorship, advocacy. The other thing COVID showed us is this, uh, you know, family benefits, which goes for both men and women, right? It's not yes. a diversity specific. What benefits right. do you offer to, you know, people can work from home or can have that peace of mind with their children being there or providing support however it is that they need, you know? So those are very important pieces mm. going into the pipeline side of yes. it.
1: So, yes, totally agree, 100%. I could talk to you forever. I feel so much smarter talking to you just for this time. I've learned so much. This has been You're wonderful. Calm, <laughs> <right>? <laughs> no, I do. This is great. This, it's not every day I get to talk to a PhD uh, in tech, so I'm, I'm so honored uh, by this. The last question is, what new technologies are you working on now? What's most exciting to you? What excites me
2: is when challenges, when somebody says, this cannot be done. That really fires me. <laughs> a true innovator. I love <laughs> yeah. You know, so I have a very strong team. Obviously, one obvious angle is of, uh, we've talked about is going towards 6G, right? What's the future look for wireless that way? Another angle is how can we apply our competencies to new area, right? Quantum, right? Computing. By uh, training I'm experimentalist so I love silicon <laughs> So anything that we can create you know IP and you know design and taking it all the way through the process and create a system a proof of concept it's very exciting for me personally and for my team because we all learn Uh, We Mm -hmm. have people with different, you know, passion and expertise, and they get exposed to different areas. So if you stop learning, the excitement goes away, right? So Mm -hmm. for me, it's to learn new things and keep reading. Let me tell you, the ideas come, okay, I love watching sci-fi and Hollywood movies.
1: (laughs) 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 <laughs> Who would have thought? <laughs> a lot of ideas, right? I think I, I agree. I think that there's a lot of future there. I mean, you can get a lot from the from the uh, the sci-fi area and the movies. <laughs> Oh, you, know, gosh. It's like, oh, what's you know, you can get pick up ideas from movies. So, yeah, I mean, look, the Jetsons, that's, a, a, you know, when I was younger, that's what I watched. And now all of that seems to be, you know, coming to reality soon. So yeah, <laughs> <the> flying, cars <laughs> <is coming. laughs> flying cars and all of that. So, right. Exactly. Yeah, autonomy, I agree. Actually,
2: right? autonomy, autonomous system is the next big thing. And this is what yes. all this connectivity and communication and, you know, AI, this is what's enabling it. And of course, on the other side, you know, it's the safety, reliability, all the policies and regulations, which is a different additional thing to make it real, right? So lots of exciting stuff on the table. So,
1: so I have one more question. So tell me about your creative process and how you innovate and come up with ideas. I mean, how do they come to you? Besides the sci-fi movies. Besides the sci-fi movies? Yeah, the other pieces. I'm just curious. Yeah. (laughs) I read a
2: lot, even, you know, uh, uh, normal technical journals and, uh, uh, you know, like an other type of journals, business journals. i give you an example from my previous life when I was at Motorola. We were working on, I was reading, I got a book on materials. It was on construction. It's like who cares about construction, <laughs> <laughs> right. And I was looking for uh, morphable materials—materials material that change shape or characteristic based on, you know, temperature or voltage—or you know, for the application I was thinking about. And I opened this book, which is all pictures, and I'm flipping through it, and I'm like, oh my god, oh my god, <laughs> and there were material out there which did what I was looking for, but they were totally different discipline, right? So there were these paints, when you touch them, they change color. Hmm. Now, imagine you have a cell phone with a battery, and you did have a battery cover, and as this thing heats up, you know, it changes color. It tells you, you know, uh, it's time to do something. Right. right. Or, uh, you know, uh, there was, you know, you applied wire voltage and you deformed the wires. I mean, there were a lot of ideas I picked from here and I, we ordered it, we worked with the team and they went for it. So it's how, how, exciting. It's how you connect the dots. Right? Mm-hmm. You don't have to be in the wireless domain to have right ideas. They're all over the place. It's how you apply different things and bring them to your domain. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: That's, that's how my you brain know, is
1: wired. <laughs> so true. So true. It's I really appreciate that. And I appreciate the reading part because I do believe in this, you know, in the days that we live in that we don't have as much time for reading. And the, the more, you know, brilliant people that I speak with and leaders, you know, everyone reads. And I think it is something that we need to make time for. And it does produce those innovative ideas that where you can connect the dots. So thank you for sharing that. I think it's, that was a, I'm going to do more reading and <laughs> I, I definitely need to, I do, I read a lot, but I, I always need to read more. So I think it's,
2: right? it's just to right. get the juices flowing and thinking. Right. right.
1: So. There you go. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Vita, thank you so much. This has been absolutely a, a joy for me. I appreciate you coming on the show and I know that our audience has gotten a great deal from this interview. So thanks for coming on. Thank you for the opportunity. Okay, you take care.
0: Thank you for listening to another informative episode of 5G Talent Talk brought to you by RCR Wireless News, Telecom Careers, and Broadstaff Talent Solutions. As we advance into the future, we promise to bring you the resources you need to navigate this ever-changing landscape of 5G to help you attract, retain, and engage people in this new world of work. To access the show notes or leave a review, visit broadstaffglobal.com. Until next time.